Over the last few weeks, we've looked at um, those final days in the life of Christ as we've studied the Gospel of, of John and, and looked at his betrayal, um, his arrest, his death, his resurrection. And we're coming to the end of the Gospel of John and... and we come back to the life of the Apostle Peter. Peter, if you remember, was someone who had so much confidence in himself. Someone when, when Jesus said that they would all betray him, his response was, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never, I will never be made to stumble. In his mind, as he thought of, of his Savior, as he thought of Christ, he's looking upon Christ thinking, everybody in this world could stumble, but not me. Like, I, I would never, ever stumble. And Jesus says to him, surely I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. But Peter's response to hearing the Lord say that is, is even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Even if I have to die, I'm not, there's no chance that I'm going to deny you. And We see that it's not long until he's denied Christ three times. The rooster crows, and Peter goes out and he he weeps bitterly. We know that on the third time in, in which Peter denied Christ, Christ looked at him. There was eye contact that was made. And he goes and he weeps bitterly. I know that, that many of us have been in places where um, we've fallen, we've sinned. Um, we've sinned in ways in, in which people would look upon those sins and think that they're, they're some of the weightiest or most heinous of sins. But I don't, I don't know that any of us would take our sin that we've committed, however heinous that it might be, and want to exchange for what Peter did. When you, think of, you think of Peter, and, and he lived with Jesus for the, the, the previous three years. Jesus had prophesied of, of the way in which he would sin. And yet... On the night of his betrayal, Peter departs. As Jesus, as, as, as the creator of this universe, is laying down his life for us, Peter's denying him three times with, with cursing and swearing, saying, I do not know the man. 
And we think of the process of, of what must have gone through his mind as far as after the death of Christ and that rooster crowing and thinking aback of, of, of what it was that, that Jesus had said. Because in Matthew 26, 75, it says, Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and he wept bitterly. I mean, you just picture it in his heart. It's just weeping that take, that's taking place as far as just bitter, bitter crying. Bitter weeping. The women come back saying that Christ has risen and Peter runs as fast as he can to the tomb. We saw previously a few weeks ago that when they see Jesus on the shore and John says, it's, it's Jesus, it's Christ, he, he puts his shirt on and dives into the water and swims to the shore that 100 yards to get there to be with Jesus. Now, Jesus has made them breakfast. And he's there with Jesus on the shore. And there has to be a lot going on in the heart of, of Peter. Peter is, is, is at a place of thinking of, even if all are made to stumble, not me. Thinking of the prophecy in which had been given and him thinking like, I'll die with you before this happens. And now he's denied Christ three times. Christ has risen from the dead. But he's still thinking in his mind, like, I, I blew it. I, I sinned in the most horrible way. He still has this picture in his mind of Jesus looking at him when he denied him on that third time. All that's taken place to where Peter may be at a place of like, what's left for me at this point? The disciples think of him differently, possibly. They know of the story. They know of what took place. They know of where Peter was at. And I'm, I'm sure Peter just wept and wept and wept to where they're, why, what is wrong? Like, Peter, what's taking place? And, and he's just, I denied him three times. This little girl came to me. I denied him three times. And this leader amongst the disciples now is possibly viewed just radically different than what he was viewed before. And so we come to John chapter 21 and we see the restoration take place of the Apostle Peter. In verse 15 of John chapter 21, if you need Bibles, there's Bibles under your pews. John chapter 21, verse 15, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah. Now just stop there for a moment. This is the point in which Jesus is going to address him. This is the point in which Jesus is going to specifically minister directly to Peter. This is the moment in which maybe Peter had hoped for. This giant elephant that's in the room of Jesus denying him three times. And now Jesus is going to specifically address Peter. But he begins by saying, Simon, son of Jonah. If you remember back, this is his name. This was, was his name. But Jesus in John 1, 42 says it, that, that he goes to Peter, and he, or Simon, and he says, you are Simon, the son of Jonah, and you shall be called Cephas, which is translated stone. You're, you're, you're a little rock, but from now on, 
I'm going to call you a big rock. I'm going to call you Peter from now on. But whenever Peter was making poor choices, he referred to him as Simon. And so Jesus again here says to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now, there's some questions as far as what is these? Do you love me more than these? More than likely, he's looking at the other disciples, saying, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Because in in your mind before, you were saying, even if everybody's made a stumble, it's not going to be me. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. That's not going to happen. So do you love me more than these? It may be that he's just looking at the boats and the fishing and all the stuff that they just brought in, this huge catch of fish as Jesus told him to throw the nets on the other side. Maybe he's just saying, do you love me more than, than all of this stuff? But more than likely, he's referring to the disciples. Do you love me more than these? The word that Jesus is used here is when he says this is, do you love, do you, do you agape me? Do you love me with the strongest kind of love that you could possibly have? In the Greek, there's different words that are used for different levels of, of love. And there's one of like brotherly love or friendship. There's different kinds of words that are used. And, and so Jesus says, do you agape me? Do you, do you love me more than these? What an, what an awesome way to reach out to Peter at this time. Peter or Simon, do you, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me more than, than these? Peter's response is, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Now, the word that Peter uses here is a different word than what Jesus had just used. Jesus says, do you agape me? Do you love me with the strongest kind of love that you possibly can have? And the response of Peter is, yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. There's, there has been a shift in Peter. The, the proud Peter that's going to say, like, of course I love you with the strongest kind of love that you ever could possibly have. It's changed. He's been softened. He's been humbled. He doesn't think of himself as even if everybody's made a stumble, not me, not anymore. He, he denied him three times. So Peter's response is, yes, Lord, you know. He's not saying, look at my life. How can you not say do I love you? Obviously, I love you. He, his response isn't like that. In fact, he takes it a step down. You, you know that I have great affection for you. You know that. And Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. And then he says to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, tend my sheep. And then he says to him the, a third time, 
Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now no, notice this, in, in, in this third time that he asks Peter this question, he changes the word to the word that Peter has been using. He goes from, do you agape me, to do you have, do you have strong affection for me? Peter's been saying the whole time, Lord, you know, you know that I have strong affection for you. Now Jesus changes it the third time to, do you have strong affection for me? And Peter's grieved because he said it to him the third time. Do you love me or do you have strong affection for me? He's grieved by it because now Christ is asking him a third time. Now he's taking it down a level of from agape, do, do you have a lesser love? Do you even have that strong affection for me? And Peter's response is, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. It's interesting because you see Peter in his denial, he's warming his hands at the enemy's fire over the charcoal. Denies Christ three times. In the restoration, Jesus publicly before the disciples in front of these coals that are there burning there near the sea asked him three times the same question. Just as Jesus denied, or just as Peter denied Jesus three times, now Jesus has given Peter the opportunity to confess him, to acknowledge his love for him three times times but notice the question after all that has taken place the question that Jesus gives to Peter is do you do you love me what an awesome question for us this morning I mean, notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying, do you love me? Do you love me? It's not, do you, do you have the ability to argue theology really well? Do you have the ability to just quote from Scripture whatever passage I tell you to quote from? How many good works have you accomplished? He doesn't ask him any questions like that. The question that comes to him is, do you love me? I know it's possible to to grow into a place of academia where you, you know a lot of information. You'll hear people say things like, you know, like, well, that, that person has right theology, but they're, just, they're, they're dead right. They're just dead. They're, there's something that happened to where they have all of this theology that's in their head. They've learned all of these things. They're able to argue all of these things. But ultimately, the question is, but do you love him? What is a prophet? If you know all of this stuff, but you don't 
love him. There's not just this adoring love for him. It is possible for people to serve in ministry, serve within the church, serve within the community, and just serve and be serving and be doing things and doing things and doing things. And you're busy and you're a part of every activity and every committee and every ministry. You're always there serving. And yet I think the question would come again, but do you love me? The core of where we are at is, Peter, do you love me? Because that's what matters. Do you love me? You find this all throughout Scripture. In Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. You should love him like that. You see, Jesus, when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? His response is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. Love him like that. You see Mary there at Jesus' feet listening to his word and and Martha's serving and she's doing all these things. and, And she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answers and says to her, Martha, Martha, are you worried and troubled? You are worried about and troubled about many things. But he goes from there to say, she chose the better part. She's there and she's loving me. She's there and she's with me. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that you could speak with the tongues of men and angels but not have love and you're just a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And you could have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so that you can remove mountains but have not love. And he says, if that's the case, you're nothing. You could give all your goods to feed the poor and you could give your body to be burned, but if you don't have love, it profits nothing. And so with that, this question, I think, is weighty for us this morning. Do you love him? Do you love Christ? Not are you serving in all these different ways, or not how many countries have you gone to, or not how much do you know, but do you love him? Do you love him? And that's the question that Peter gets. I would venture to say that Peter never forgot that morning. He never forgot that morning. He's there with his Savior, and Jesus is saying to him, Peter, or Simon, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he remembered it. The responses that Jesus gave are incredible as well. Then feed my lambs. Then tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Then feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know. Then tend my sheep. Care for my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know all things. Then feed my sheep. You may look at this and think, 
why respond like that? And, and I, I think Jesus has given him the greatest affirmation that he's been forgiven. Peter, you did something that, that has, in your mind, the, the most unexpected and the greatest sin that you ever could have committed. But I'm telling you, as I was reading through just even the first chapter of First Peter, I was reading it thinking, like, what kind of heart does, does, does Peter have? I read through the various writings of Peter, but looking just in the first chapter, I went back to it and just said, like, this, he, has, he absolutely has a heart of a shepherd. He had to have been thinking of these things throughout the entirety of his ministry as he's hearing, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, just care for my sheep, feed my sheep. This is what you're to do. He's writing this letter, and in and, and every part of it is, is what we try to do here. He starts out by just talking about you're the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Have such a view of God that you just look and you say, like, God, you're sovereign, and, and, and this is what you've done according to your foreknowledge, according to your will, sanctification of the Spirit and obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. You, you're changed by the Holy Spirit working in you. Turn with me there for a moment. Just turn to 1 Peter. We'll look through some different passages. 1 Peter chapter 1. You look at this and he, he just breaks out into worship in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Worship him. Blessed be him. He's given us a living hope because he rose again from the dead. Because Peter knows that if he had not risen from the dead, there's absolutely no hope for him. There was no hope for Peter if Christ hadn't risen from the dead. But he has. He goes from there to, you, you have this inheritance, it's incorruptible, it's undefiled, it doesn't fade away, it's reserved in heaven for you. You're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. You, you have this inheritance. And so he's looking at this church, and he's, he's preaching to this church, and he's looking at the congregation that's before him, and he's saying, hey, you guys, you have an inheritance. He's talking to the sheep that the Lord's entrusted with him with, and he's like, you have this inheritance you have an inheritance in heaven, and it's incorruptible, and it's undefiled, and it doesn't fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. It's kept by the very power of God. It's not based upon your ability to do all the things that you need to do. You have an inheritance that can never be taken away from you, and he's just, he's just caring for the sheep. Isn't that the best thing that you can ever hear? I mean, you think of churches that people go to where it's like, hey, you better go up again this week. Say that sinner's prayer because you kind of blew it this week. Churches in which... You're always questioning your salvation. You're always wondering whether you're really saved. And Peter's looking at this church and he's just saying, God's called me to feed the lambs, to tend to them, to feed the sheep. Guys, we have an inheritance and it's incorruptible and it's undefiled and it doesn't ever fade away and it's reserved in heaven for you. And just so you know, the best news ever, it's kept by the power of God. He keeps it to the very end. He's the one that does that. He says in verse 6, because of that you rejoice greatly, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. And you just think of our congregation here. You greatly rejoice that you have this inheritance, but 
I know, I think probably as well as anybody here, the number of people that have been grieved by various trials. Just hard, hard things. Things that you would never want anybody else to go through. Things that just, you're picturing them in your mind right now and you know of things that others have gone had in their lives around them. And, and Peter's just, he's feeding the flock. He's giving them a view of God that, that makes it so that in the midst of the worst circumstances, you can respond by, by saying the genuineness of my faith, which is much more precious than gold that perishes, even though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I, I have watched many of you go through incredible trials, and in it you praise, honor, and glory Christ in it. You trust him. Peter says, whom having not seen, you love. Maybe even thinking back to Jesus, Jesus, Simon, do you love me? And Peter's response is, you know that I love you. But he's going to the believers that are there and he's saying, like, I know that you love him. I can look at this congregation and look at the saints that God's brought here and I say, even though you haven't seen him, you, you love him, don't you? You love him. I know you love him. He goes to talk about seeing Christ in all of Scripture. He calls them towards holiness. 1 Peter 13, 1.13, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. He's calling the church as he's feeding them and tending to them. He's saying, don't be like the way you were when you were still in unbelief, when you are still ignorant. Be holy just as he is holy. Be holy. A call towards holiness. I sit in my office in, in, or at home. There, 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 are, there are so many times throughout the week that the thought goes into my mind of I hate sin. I hate it. I hate sin. I see people fall into sin, myself fall into sin. You see the repercussions of that sin, and I just, I think over and over again, I hate sin. I hate the fruit of it, I hate the result of it, and you will too. And you do too. So did Peter. He's looking at this church and saying, Be holy as he's holy. Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear and reverence, knowing that you weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with, from your aimless conduct revealed by the traditions of your father, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. You were saved by the precious blood of Christ. Be holy because you were saved by the precious blood of Christ. The motivation is there. Why, why do we obey him? Why do we desire to live holy lives? Why do we not have the mentality of, 
should we sin that grace just might abound and just do all the stuff that you want to do because he's forgiven us. Peter's response is, no, it's, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. And then he goes from there to love one another fervently with a pure heart, tending to the sheep, feeding the sheep, love each other fervently. Not only that, but he goes from there in that first chapter to saying, you've been born again, not with corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. And then he closes by saying, there in the next chapter. Therefore, lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Desire the pure milk of the word. And so when Peter's been told, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, he goes to, I will proclaim God's word. I'll proclaim it. You ask me if I love you. And then you tell me, feed the lambs, tend the sheep, feed the sheep, and I will feed them, and I will care for them, and I will proclaim the word to him. It's the incorruptible seed. Then he just goes, desire the pure milk of the word. Desire it. Spend time in it. And so we here at our church as we care for you, as we're here to feed you, it's not with story time. It's not with self-help stuff. It's not with psychobabble. It is what does God say in his word? That's what you want to feast on, don't you? I'll tell you, when you've lost a loved one or you find out that cancer's there or you've gone through some major trial in your life, None of you cared how much psychobabble took place from this pulpit. None of you cared whether or not I was funny. None of you remembered a joke. What you remembered is he is more precious than all of life. And though you slay me, yet I will bless you. I will trust you. You work all things together for good. You work all things together for good. There's no one that could stop your hand. There's no one that could say, what are you doing? There's nothing that could separate me from the love of Christ. There's nothing that could do it. Your picture of him in your mind is he's worth everything. Whatever I go through is nothing in comparison to the glories that will follow. And I pray that that's what we keep doing, feeding you like this so that you see him to be more precious more desired, more to be treasured than anything else that this universe could ever possibly offer us. And the result would be that you'd be healthy. And the result would be that the gospel would go forward joyfully. And the result would be that we wouldn't be a church filled with legalists. And the result would be we would be people who love him. To where if the question was asked to us, do you love me? That the response would be, Lord, you know. You know all things. 
You know what's inside my heart. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. And that that would be our answer. That you would be lovers of Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. We do love you. We're so thankful for this great salvation in which you have saved us with. We praise you for that. I pray, Lord, that as we partake in communion in a few moments, Lord, that we would be remembering you and giving thanks for you and just praising you because you have paid the price that we could never have paid. And through faith in you alone, we could be saved from every sin that we've ever committed and that there be just great joy in your people as we remember the cross on this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.